Hi folks, Matt here with another bonus episode of Put Me In Coach. This week we talked about our favorite baseball conspiracy theories, and what got cut that you're about to hear are some deep dives that Carl and I did on umpires, owners, the league, and all the conspiracy theories that surround them with various levels of viability. Take a listen. I I wanted to talk about umpires, because I think every baseball player's favorite conspiracy theory every time their team loses was the umpires were working against us the umpires were biased against my team in particular and i'm gonna spoil it right now i did a lot of research i spent a long time digging really deep to try to find some kind of science or or recorded proof that umpires were favoring one team over the other and unfortunately The answer between are they inept and are they dirty is they're just really bad at their jobs. (laughs) Um, So the first thing I found was a study by Boston University that partially confirms that umpires, especially older umpires, are particularly bad at what they do. On average, they will miss a ball or strike call 14 times a game or one and a half times an inning. Some of them, like... um, Jim Joyce, who just retired a couple years ago, were like catastrophically bad. Um, Of course, Angel Hernandez is the sort of legendary bad umpire that's playing in the league. Um, And C.B. Buckner, guys like that. And they also are, you know, human beings. They have certain biases. They have certain, you know, managers they don't like and argue with. You know, Buckner had a, a conflict. I think we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago. A conflict with a manager last season that carried over into a spring training game where he refused to shake his hand after the scorecard uh, trade-off. So like these are, marble. Yeah, these are human beings and they definitely they don't just make mistakes, but they they carry grudges, they carry like biases. Um and so the the other very interesting thing I found was that studies have shown they have a racial bias in their calls. They're a little more uh tough against players of color and that's there's science to that we'll link that in the in the footnotes as well and they're just weird like there was the game uh last year umpire named dan bellino uh was doing the uh sticky stuff check on a pitcher named madison Baumgartner and was just staring Baumgartner in Mm. the face with the creepiest like dead-eyed stare and Baumgartner says can i help you He's just holding his hand. I'm doing this uh, in a uh, not a visual medium, but he's holding his hand and he's just <laughs> staring at him and staring at him and staring at him. And Bungard's eventually like, "Stop holding my hand!" and blows up at him, and the umpire throws him out. And it's well, why are you doing that? They're just weirdos. They're just weirdos. But unfortunately, there's there's only been one. I don't, I don't know. Unfortunately, I wanted to prove a point by saying like, "Yeah, the umpires are mean to my team specifically." But over the course of all of baseball's recorded history, there's only been one umpire that's been caught fixing games, and it was a man named Dick Higgum who uh, <laughs> who umpired back in the yeah Dick Higgum. Uh, who umpired back in the late 1800s. He was only an umpire for two years. He had played for a long time, and then he was an umpire for two years. There was a team called the Detroit Wolverines uh, who became suspicious of his calls against their team, and they hired a private detective to investigate. Now, this is pre-MLB, so this is sort of like, you know, what they had to do at the time, I guess. They hire a PI, and sure enough, Higgum was in cahoots with a gambler and was fixing games against Detroit specifically and he was banned from participating in baseball ever again 
And like I said, that's the only recorded instance of that happening. Uh, Lenny Dykstra, uh, who used to play for the Mets, uh, and is by all accounts a gigantic piece of shit, uh, he claimed that he had hired private investigators to follow umpires around back in his playing days and then blackmailed them with the information that he gathered in order to get favorable calls. And in the article that I read, he's like, yeah, well, why do you think I led the league in in walks? It, that, you know, it's not a coincidence. And, I, I, you know, I guess it's sort of like, yeah, but he was a good baseball player, so it could have just been he was good at playing baseball, but I'm yep. for the player to admit that, I guess. <laughs> um, well, did... Speaking of, I, I I don't want to interrupt you, but when you when you feel like you're done, let me know because I actually I, I'm surprised that you didn't come across this magnificent piece uh, about Joe West. No, please, yeah. What's the Joe West? He in 2021 won a five hundred thousand dollar defamation lawsuit against retired uh, MLB catcher Paul Laduca who on a podcast two years prior had claimed that Billy Wagner former uh, great left-handed relief pitcher, uh, also played for the Mets at one point and the, the Phillies, among others. Uh, Billy Wagner apparently told Paul LaDuca that when he was in town and he knew that, or when, when Joe West was in town, uh, he would lend him a, like his, his, like a 57 Chevy or something to drive around to get a bigger strike zone. And uh, Joe West, unsurprisingly, the guy who has nothing better to do in retirement than uh, fight with Wikipedia, uh, <laughs> su- sued him and won a $500,000 defamation suit. Hey, so you know, what can you do? Yeah, Joe West, I guess, is sort of kind of the worst, I think, that's ever been. Um, and yeah, like Carl alluded to, uh, he retired last year and it was discovered earlier this year that he's been going to his own wikipedia page and editing things to make him look good again they're weirdos but uh there was one umpire that i found in this that there was sort of an opposite side conspiracy theory toward a guy named dale scott who uh would eventually become the first openly gay uh umpire um he got into an argument with uh yankees manager billy martin and martin was just being a gigantic asshole he started kicking dirt at him and just screaming at him so he got thrown out of the game and martin was fired pretty quickly after that by george steinbrenner who i guess this has been a long series of antics that this was kind of the final straw and so martin's out of the league out of a job and then the next time scott was due to call a game in new york he was very abruptly reassigned to Toronto the day of the game, and the league later informed him that they had received an anonymous tip that if Scott came back to New York, he'd be leaving in a body bag. It seemed that Martin had gotten in touch with mob connections who were planning on assassinating Scott if he came to New York. Jesus Christ. You know, just I thought that I'd heard every Billy Martin story that there was. <laughs> I've never heard that, but I'm completely unsurprised. Yeah. So, yeah, umpires, they're bad at their jobs. They're not always dirty. And sometimes people will literally try to kill them or or do something in order to get favorable calls. Um, yeah. Well, let's move on to the topic of collusion. And it's not just about yes. politicians working with foreign governments. This is a, a, a thing that can happen in baseball, too. Yes, it can and has happened, as you're about to hear multiple times. Um, Collusion, uh, in baseball anyway, is formally defined in the Major League Baseball Collective Bargaining Agreement, which states, quote, players shall not act in concert with other players and clubs 
shall not act in concert with other clubs. Uh, Major League Baseball went through a real nasty period of collusion uh, between the uh, off-seasons of 1985, 1986, and 1987. Uh, Historically, it was always referred to as um, a gentleman's agreement. You mentioned 1918, the Chicago Cubs. Well, in 1918, uh, after the season was owner or owner, after the season was over, all of the owners had agreed to release all of their players, terminating the non-guaranteed contracts with a gentleman's agreement not to sign other players or not to sign each other's players specifically as a means of forcing the players' salaries what down. The fuck? Yeah. So this goes on unabated or just, or just unabated, excuse me, for 50 years um, before the 1996 or 1966 excuse me, 1966 season, uh, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale decided to hold joint negotiations with the Los Angeles Dodgers. They were the team's star pitchers. They'd helped the Dodgers win the World Series the uh, the year prior in 1965. Uh, the Dodgers needed them. If they were going to have any chance to keep competing, they needed them. Uh, after negotiations, uh, negotiating for the first 32 days of spring training, they agreed on one-year contracts, Kofax for 125000 which seems so quaint, uh, and Drysdale for $110,000, the two largest, in contract, uh, two largest contracts in baseball history up to that point. Of course, the owners were starting to get a little uh, uh, up in arms about that. Um, 1968, the new union leader, Marvin Miller, who completely changed the face of uh, labor in baseball, um, he negotiated their first collective bargaining agreement with the team owners. Uh, the t- owners didn't want the players uh, holding joint negotiations, and Miller said, fine, but you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So that is why the CBA always has that sentence, the players shall not act in concert with other players, and the clubs shall not act in concert um, with other clubs. Fast forward uh, just about 18 years to 1984. Uh, Shortly after uh, he became the commissioner in 1984, Peter Uberoth addressed the owners at a meeting in St. Louis. Uh, He called the owners, quote, damned dumb, close quote, for being willing to lose millions of dollars in order to win a World Series. Uh, later, at a separate meeting with the general managers in Tarpon Springs, Florida, he said that it was, quote, not smart, close quote, to sign long-term contracts. I wonder how Peter Uberoth would feel about the contracts these yeah, days. Yeah, for real. Um, yeah. The message was obvious, to hold down the salaries by any means that any means necessary. It later uh, came out that the owners agreed to cut, keep the contracts down to three years for position players and two years for pitchers. So again, the, the owners were proven uh, to, to have done that. Um, and then this is where we get into the three uh, phases of collusion, which they literally, once they went to court, were just called collusion one, collusion two, and collusion three. Uh, no parentheticals uh, or anything like that. No collusion two, <laughs> electric boogaloo <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so the free agent market after the 1985 season was different from any um, of the 30 uh, that had preceded it of the 35 free agents that year, only four changed teams. And those four were not wanted by their old teams. Uh, Kurt Gibson, Tommy John, Phil Negro, they didn't get any offers from any other teams. Uh, the cover of the December 9th, 1985 edition of the sporting news asked, why won't anyone sign Kurt Gibson? George Steinbrenner offered Carlton Fisk a contract that offseason and then withdrew it after getting a call from uh, Chicago White Sox owner Jerry Reinsdorf. Holy shit, he's owned them for a long time. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, uh, and then teams also reduced their rosters from 25 players to 24 players. 
thus creating even fewer jobs uh, and further colluding. Uh, by December, several agents thought, hey, this doesn't seem right, and complained to Major League Baseball, uh, or specifically to, uh, they complained to the union president, Donald Fear. In February of 1986, the MLBPA filed its first grievance, later known as Collusion One. So yeah, there that, that was the uh, the first example. And then they weren't done in 1986. Uh, let's see here. Only four free agents again switched teams. Andre Dawson took a pay cut and a one-year contract to sign with the Cubs. Uh, Three-fourths of the free agents signed one-year contracts. Uh, uh, several star players ended up back with their old teams, including Detroit Tigers' Jack Morris, uh, Tim Raines, Ron Guidry, Rich Gedman, Bob Boone, and Doyle Alexander. Uh, for the first time, since the start of free agency, which I believe was 1971, uh, the le- the average major league salary declined. Hmm. Can you imagine in this day and age the average major league salary declining? No, even with like uh, inflation the way it was this year, salaries only just skyrocketed. <laughs> oh, absolutely! Yeah, it, it, the only place where they did um, the free the average free agent salary dropped by 16 percent, while MLB reported revenues increasing by 15 percent. This caused the union to file a second grievance, Collusion 2, on February 8th, <laughs> 1987. Even as this was happening, Yubaroff ordered the owners to tell him personally if they intended to offer contracts longer than three years. Remember, the commissioner works for the owners. Yep. The commissioner does yep. not work for the players. Um, in September of 87, the collusion one case went before arbitrator Thomas Roberts, who ruled that the owners had violated the CBA by conspiring to restrict player movement. And, uh, let's see here. Yes. Lastly, collusion three, after ruling the owners changed their tactic, but not their intent. They created an information bank to share information about what offers were being made to players. These fuckers don't learn. What the hell? (laughs) Players affected included one of my favorite players when I was a kid, Paul Molitor. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Jack Clark and Dennis Martinez. In January of 1988, the union filed its third grievance, Collusion 3, the Players Strike Back. Uh, on January 18th of 1988, uh, the owners were ordered to pay $10.5 million in damages to the players. By then, only 14 of the free agent, of the 1985 free agents were still in baseball. Uh, and they were awarded, or seven of them uh, were awarded a second chance as new look free agents. They could offer their services to any team without losing their existing contracts. And one player took advantage of that, Kurt Gibson, who signed a uh, three-year, $4.5 million contract with the uh, the Dodgers and then went on to hit one of the most uh, historic home runs in baseball Absolutely. history. Almost um, single-handedly and, yeah. credited for winning them that World Series. So. Oh, oh, yeah, Absolutely. Um, a fight, let's see, collusion, uh, damages for collusion three, which was then found to have occurred, uh, were up to $64.5 million. Uh, a final settlement of the three collusion cases was reached in November of 1990. The owners agreed to pay the players $280 million with the MLBPA deciding how to, uh, distribute that amongst the players. Um, and at the time, the commissioner, Faye Vincent, told the owners, quote, the single, single biggest reality you guys have to face up to is collusion. You stole $280 million from the players, and the players are unified to a man around that issue because you got caught, and many of you are still involved. <clears throat> and 
yeah, it it, 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 it wasn't done. In 2002, um, <laughs> players alleged that owners engaged in collusion in, o, in the 02 and 03 seasons. As part of the 06, uh, the 2006 CBA, owners agreed to pay the players $12 million from luxury tax revenue sharing funds. Um, <clears throat> in 2007, uh, the players' union raised concerns that owners collusively shared information about free agents and possibly conspired to keep the final price of uh, free agent Alex Rodriguez's contract down. Uh, and then the last one that I could find was in 08, the Players Association indicated that it would file a collusion grievance against the owners claiming they conspired uh, illegally to keep Barry Bonds from getting a contract. But I think everybody was just like, no, we're tired of his shit. <laughs> Well, he's more trouble than it's worth. To be fair to Bonds, I think like, you know, he he didn't go to court. He didn't have the big like proven he's on steroids thing. And if if he was clean, he could still probably be one of the better players in the league. And I think that that's sort of one of those things is like nobody's going to sign this guy at all. Even the worst team (laughs) could give him just like league minimum. No, the greatest one of the greatest players in baseball history. Yeah. And, and I mean, look, I, I understand he was persona non grata in a lot of places and a lot of teams might've thought he was more trouble than he was worth, but I agree with you. And as an aside and kind of looping back to what we were talking about on our episode last week, um, forgiveness, we are a forgiving nation. Yeah. We will forgive anything. And uh, they almost got me MLB, the show and at San Diego studios almost got me this year. Cause they added a bunch of new legends, including Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa. Oh. And yet they still probably oh, credit that. the Giants for having the uh, the home run record. Yeah, exactly. It'll still say San Francisco Giants uh, 2000. It's, it's, I can't remember what year he did it. But uh, yeah, so we, we, we're willing to forget they, that they appear in the game because of the, play, uh, the uh, players union. So the players union uh, has you know whatever signed off on it and they forgave them. San Diego Studios is like, screw it. Yeah, we we know they did it. Bring him back. Barry Bonds still hung out the drive. Yep. Well, and what can you do? I mean, the the I think the biggest, most interesting thing that's happening right now is that there's a lot of strife between owners. And I think that that's the player's greatest strength is that the owners don't really like working with each other right now, particularly because there's one guy that's just throwing money around and everybody hates him for it. So, um, yep. Yeah, uh, and of course, you know, uh, having a strong union is always important, no matter what your trade is. So if if there's one lesson to learn from this uh, this segment, it's unions, they're what make uh, the world go round. All right. I will co-sign on that as well. We are a very pro-union podcast. Put Me In Coach is an Arctic Sounds original podcast hosted by Matt Coggins and Carl Mizell with production and mixing by Matt Coggins. Theme music is by Quack Quack Seatback. Check out the footnotes of this episode to link off to the studies on umpire effectiveness and their racial bias, as well as links to our website and social media. See you on Wednesday for another new episode.